Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Titus. Be continuing my series. Almost done with it. So that means we're in Titus chapter 3. Have one more message in Titus after this one. And I've sort of taken as my theme for Titus the things that were wanting. And last time we talked about one of the things that was wanting, one of the things that was needed was reminders. Uh, Reminders of how the Lord wants us to behave and view and uh, authority. Others around us, some reminders about ourselves, some reminders about our possession in Christ. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the thing that was wanting that Paul wanted Titus to take care of was separation. So we're in the book of Titus, chapter 3. And our passage will be uh, just verses 9 through 11, though we will uh, backtrack, backtrack just a little bit into verse 8 um, to get some perspective on what's being talked about. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, help me to communicate what you want communicated. Lord, uh, not things of myself, but things of you. I pray that this message would uh, be a help to those here tonight, that you will bless them for taking the time to be here. And we ask that you meet with us and speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, and, uh, being condemned of himself. So as we look at this passage, the first word that should stick out to you in verse 9 is the word but. It's making a contrast to what was said before. In verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So what he says here about things to avoid and someone to reject is in contrast to that. It's in contrast that we should be careful to maintain good works. It's in contrast to what verse 8 tells us to do, which is do the word of God. Live the word of God. Be engaged in those good works. When you do, the verse says these things are good. It pleases God when you do those things, when you do the works of the Lord, when you obey the Bible, when you treat others the way that God wants you to treat them. Everything that he's been talking about up to this point. And you are in alignment with God's will and God's working. 
when you do those things. The Apostle John said in 3 John 1.11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And when you do what he says, when you do those good works, when you maintain a good testimony, it's also profitable unto men. Now, something that is profitable, it creates an increase over what was put in. Like when you plant a kernel of corn, you don't get one kernel back. Unless you're a gardener like I am, you don't get any kernels back. But why you put that in the ground hoping to get a stalk which has three years, four years, five years, and those ears of corn are loaded with kernels. That's profitable. You put money in your 401k and leave it there because you expect it to be profitable. You expect there to be more money when it comes time to retire than what you put in to begin with. I won't say any more about that. But this says that doing what God says, being involved in those good works is profitable unto men. Not just you, everybody. And the increase is not in just one area, if you think about it. If we're engaged in those good works, the increase is in your spiritual growth. You'll come to know the Lord more intimately. The increase is in the area of others' spiritual growth. It edifies them and provokes them unto love and good works also. The increase is in the area of the promotion of faith in Christ. Some people will come to trust Christ because of your testimony, not just the telling them of it, but the living of it can encourage folks to come to Christ. And the increase is also in the area of life in general. Living God's truth and dealing with others the way that God wants you to makes your, your little corner of the world a better place for everybody because it's got the blessing of God on it. But we come to our passage, and here we have this word, but. So Paul is about to tell Titus the opposite of what is good and profitable. The opposite of good, of course, is bad or evil. And again, 3 John, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So the things that are in our passage here, in verses 9 through 11, are things that create a loss instead of a profit. In your life, in others' life, in the world around you, you come away with less than you started in those areas that I mentioned. So it's a word of warning. And so we see here this but... There is a call to avoid some things. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. See? Unprofitable. See, the big problem, though, is that 
All these things to avoid get dressed up in a Christian costume. Sometimes people who call themselves Christians are engaged in these things. Sometimes people who actually are Christian are engaged in these things. And the way that these things get presented, they can sound really spiritual. But don't fall for it. It says to avoid these things. This afternoon at lunchtime, a yellow jacket made its way into the kitchen. And my family proceeded to avoid it. Um, Three out of the five of us, I think they wound up upstairs. I wasn't one of the ones that ran upstairs. But they were avoiding that yellow jacket. Understandably so. You don't want to get stung. So we need to avoid some things. Avoid foolish questions. These, it's not avoid questions, it's avoid foolish questions. That foolish is speaking about dull or heedless, referring to like blockheadedness and We know from the book of Proverbs, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're godless questions. Questions in this case are ones in a debating for its own sake sort of sense. Or an irrational sense. These are questions that cast doubt or create confusion. You might think of them as kind of gotcha questions. Can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? The Bible only mentions Adam, Eve, and Cain, and Abel, and Seth. So where did Cain's wife come from? They're not really looking for answers. They're trying to start an argument. They're trying to trip you up. And we've, been, we've all been asked these questions by unbelievers, haven't we? But watch out when they come from people inside, in the church. You need to avoid questions like these. Just, they're set-up questions. So avoid them. It says to avoid genealogies. And genealogies, this was the influence in, that was in Crete and the rest of the Roman world that had its roots in polytheism. That big wide range of gods that they worshipped that Paul commented on. And it was also the beginnings of a Gnostic philosophy that was infiltrating Christianity. Titus needed to be aware of it. And we as believers need to be aware of it because so much of it is still woven into things that call itself Christianity today. And a genealogy is a record of descent or lineage. You think of it as like a family tree. There's two things that fall under this category of genealogies. Genealogy is, is a method of marking time, a difference in ages, we might say. But it also had to do with a difference in things that, were, that the Greeks and Romans referred to as aeons in a metaphysical sense. So division of, of time into separate pieces we know as hyperdispensationalism. That's a big long word. 
but divides the record of the Bible into different periods. So you have the period from, say, Adam to Noah, and from Noah to Abraham, and Abraham to Moses, and so on and so forth. And you would have the Gospels, and then the Acts, and then and it's dividing up the Gospels, and it's dividing up your Bible and saying that God dealt with people differently in different ages of time. And it comes down to that God saved people differently in those ages of time. And that's false. That's a false gospel. Sometimes it includes teaching about when the church begins. The church began at Pentecost. Well, if, that, if you hold to that view, that opens up the door to minimizing a whole lot of important doctrines. In fact, some of the teachings of Jesus himself. Then there's that sense of aeons. And this has to do with that whole Greek influence. And these aeons were spirit beings, emanations they called them. And its root is a platonic worldview that holds all matter as corrupt from its beginning. And because it's not pure, and so it's not pure, and so it can't be pure spirit like God is. This view teaches that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and other religious figures are emanations. It's a manifestation of a spiritual being that sort of originally created them, led to their creation. And it goes back to a purely spirit which they would recognize as maybe God the Father, a perfect immaterial being. And each new emanation of that perfect material being gets more and more corrupted, is what they would believe. They would hold that Jehovah God of the Old Testament is not a pure and good creator, like our Bible says, but as a corrupted emanation from a pure God. That Jehovah God made a tainted universe and mankind is further corrupted from there. And they would believe that you can't come to pure spirituality unless you transcend the material world. And really, it's just another form of mysticism. You have to overcome matter. You have to overcome yourself and all those things that go along with it. And with all these aeons, with all these spirit beings that progress, you're essentially taking that Greek pantheon and squeezing it into a Bible box. And that Bible box is what fools Christians. And you know what? It also discourages and dissuades lost people from coming to Christ. You know, it sounds good because, oh, you're talking about a perfect God and about pure spirit. But no, you've you've got it off track. And it feels good because you feel smart because you can understand these different levels of being that, and trace their way back. And not only do you feel smart, but you get to act smart because you can put your own spin on it and try and convince people about what you think rather than about what God says. Yep. 
about himself. Genealogies, avoid genealogies, and contentions. Contentions are quarrels or wrangling. And it's often, it's often talking about things that are personal in nature, in motivation. This is plain old James 4.1. From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even, for, even of your lusts that war in your own members. Avoid contentions, avoid arguments that have its root in them or in you. Some people just love a good argument. They want to win an argument. But is that argument profitable? Is it helping you grow? Is it helping the other person grow? Or are you just trying to win so that you seem more Christian or spiritual than they do. And these contentions can also start when we bring outside divisions, the divisions that are common in our world inside the church house. And Proverbs tells us, only by pride cometh contention. Contentions has its source in pride. Avoid them. Amen. And avoid strivings about the law. And this was the influence of those Judaizers. So you had the Greeks and the polytheists and the philosophers on one side, and then you had the Judaizers on the other for these believers in Crete. And striving is, is battle or fighting, and it was fighting about the law. Or, in some cases, fighting about the lawyers themselves. No, he's not really a Jew. He's not really a Jewish teacher. He was from this school or that school. You argue about the lawyer. Or you argue about the laws. We have an example that Jesus dealt with in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He was starting a fight over the legal terms of who is my neighbor. Avoid these sorts of things. Your neighbor is your neighbor. God's word is simple. It's to the point. And they would say, the Judaizers would say, and somebody who is engaged in these strivings about the law, you need to keep this law or that one to be right with God. But this one and that one are not quite as important as those other ones. It's not what James tells us. If you break one, you break them all. Do you see the problems here and why these things should be avoided? These, they are unprofitable and vain. These things are unprofitable. It's pretty clear how any one of these things by itself can create a decrease in your faith and the spread of your faith if you are engaged in these things. If everyone sees that you're just 
wanting an argument, wanting to win an argument. Oh, you might win the argument. We might chase them away from Christ in the process. You might have a really elaborate system of aeons, genealogies, and be able to explain it to them and take 20 minutes to do it and you left them 18 minutes before. Because you want us to tell them how much you know. And we see if we engage in these, under, in these things, foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, it communicates to each other that I can't understand the Bible on my own. I can't go out and witness because I don't know enough because I can't answer. Can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? You're not supposed to answer it. And getting wrapped up in this stuff keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. If all these things are going on at the same time, there could be real problems in a church. If one person is caught up in quarreling, contentions, if another person is caught up in strivings about the law, and another person is caught up in foolish questions, these things are going to be unappealing to anybody who visits this church. And it's going to affect their response to the gospel that they hear. It's unprofitable. These things are vain, empty with no point. But vanity also has the sense of being puffed up like a balloon. What's a, what's a balloon full of? A lot of hot air. All these things boil down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Avoid them. And really, at the end of it all, we come back to that word, but... Because it revolves around all these things are talking and arguing about the word of God instead of doing it. Avoid that. Live it. And these things are easy to get caught up in. Because talking about God is a whole lot easier than doing what God tells you to do. Talking about God is also safer in our mind than stepping out in faith. And talking, this is one of the most dangerous things, it creates the feeling of holiness rather than creating holiness and who you are. So there's a call to avoid. There's also a call to reject someone. Now one that should be rejected is the heretic. And this is one who is a schismatic, who is factuous, who is a follower of false doctrine. And a schism, he's a schismatic, so a schism is a division between members of what had been a unified group. So schism is when this half of the church believes one thing all of a sudden, 
and this half believes the original thing, and now there's a divide. They had been unified in something. And the schismatic comes in, and he's the one that creates that divide. Heresy is religious teaching that will block someone from coming to salvation, pure and simple. And heresy, of course, is what the heretic is involved in. He's the one who employs the foolish questions, the genealogies, the contentions, the strivings about the law. The heretic is the source. And again, the trouble is, is that the heretic is dressed up in Christian costume. They look and they sound spiritual. They can be on the radio, on the TV, on the internet. They can be regular visitors to this church. Heretic can be a member of this church. And that's not to say that we should be looking for heretics behind every corner. Because this is demonstrated that we shouldn't be doing that by how the heretic is supposed to be dealt with doesn't say reject him right away. It says, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Because you don't want to just immediately reject a true believer in Christ who's gotten off track. That admonition is it's calling attention to. It speaks about a mild warning. And Ephesians 6 4 refers to it in conjunction with nurture. Bringing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want to try and bring that person back on track so that they're not causing division, so that they, they're, they're unified once again with the body of the church. We want to give them the benefit of the doubt. To compassionately bring them back. And it says, first and second admonition. Yeah, the second admonition is probably getting more pointy. It is. Because the next step is to reject. And... It seems to me that anybody who is a pastor that cares about his flock is going to admonish more than two times. They want to see that person brought back. But there comes a time to reject such a one. This is discipline and matters and doctrines of the faith that are being preached and taught by someone. And it's possible for a saved church member to get sidetracked. A really charismatic preacher that he finds online slips in a little bit of false teaching. It happens. That's why we're supposed to admonish the heretic. But... The heretic eventually proves by himself that he is off track and he's not coming back. He should be rejected. Reject him because he doesn't respond to the admonition. 
reject him because of what he is. Verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted, that is twisted or turned, changed for the worse or perverted. His subversion is demonstrated by his activities, which is he's someone who's always looking for an argument. He's always looking for trying to show his knowledge and try and get you impressed with him. Watch out. That person could be a heretic. And Paul said in Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's what the heretic is engaged in. That's where the foolish questions, that's where the strivings about the law, that's where it leads to. He questions teaching and insists on teaching himself, but he will not be questioned or taught himself. You have a heretic. Reject him because of what he does. Not only is he subverted, he sinneth. Continual and unrepentant. Sin and schism and division characterize his life. He is not doing what God says. That's the textbook definition of sin, isn't it? A born-again Christian should respond to Holy Spirit conviction over their sin and admonition from brethren or a pastor. Reject him because of his state. He is condemned. He is self-condemned. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. He is condemned by his sinful behavior and by the twisting of the truth. He has refused admonition and correction. He is making division behind the scenes and out in the open. He is one that needs to be rejected. But you know, there's an inclination not to reject because we want to be long-suffering and we want to be merciful. We don't want to turn somebody over to false doctrines. Who cares? We care. And we should. And sometimes there's the fear that if we reject that heretic, he's going to take some true believers with him when he leaves. And sometimes he will. But it says to reject him. At the end of the day, you have to do it. Or the heretic will tear apart a church. So it comes down to this. Are you engaged in quality control when it comes to your walk with God? See, these are instructions from Paul to Titus. But this letter to Titus didn't just stay in his desk. God preserved it for us. 
These things were important for Titus as a pastor. But a pastor can only do so much to help you grow and help faith in Christ spread into the community. You need to be doing these things too. You need to be avoiding and you need to be rejecting. What is the nature of conversations that you have with church members, with your family, or with lost people? Who do you listen to on TV, radio, podcast, or YouTube? Are you being careful about that? Are you paying attention to what they're saying? Do you know anything about them and about their life? Are you engaging in what is good and profitable? Are you dealing with the bad and unprofitable? So avoid when these topics and discussions come up. What does that look like? You interrupt. You say, wait a minute. Let's look at what the Word of God says about this. Or maybe when the topic comes up like that in your workplace or in your family, foolish questions about the Lord, maybe you should leave the room. Realizing that's unprofitable and they're not really looking for answers, they're just looking for a good argument. Or do you jump in on those things? Are you rejecting? And this is, it's harsh and it's difficult. Because someone can become subverted and go completely off track. And maybe it's someone that we're close to in the church. But we can see that they're just causing divisions. They're trying to pull people onto sides. They're wrangling the Word of God and doing less and less of it. Are you separating from such a one? Now, if Titus, for example, in our passage here, a pastor needs to reject someone who is a heretic, do you think it's okay if you still continue to hang out with that person? Matthew chapter 7 tells us, by, your, by their fruits you shall know them. And what it all comes down to is, are you doing the work of God? Or are you just talking about it? This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. To you and to everyone around you, to this church. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth and being, uh, being condemned of himself. 
Are you talking and debating or are you taking action? Are you engaged in foolish questions and arguments or are you living what God's word says instead of trying to argue with it and trying to get your own way? When you look at the fruit in your life or in someone else's life, is it good? Is it producing good for you and for others? Especially for others, because we know that God's concern is for all men. And if you engage in these things, you're going to detract from the person and the work of Christ. We need to avoid that. We need to reject those who are engaged in it. And, as our Bible says, overcome evil with good. You don't overcome evil by talking at it. You overcome it by throwing more good at it than it can handle and heap coals of fire on its head. Avoid and reject and do the good works. Do some quality control in your Christian life. Is there some good things I need to stoke or is there some bad things I need to just trim off? Because if it's good for a pastor, it's good for you and me. Because pastors not following you around every day. It's up to you to do these things too. 